This episode of Unreasonable Down is brought to you by DB. DB is a Scandinavian brand that makes backpacks and bags to help people in the move stay ready for anything. From the streets to the peaks, DB's gear is travel tested by some of the world's best athletes, adventurers, and creators. Over the past decade, DB has designed and developed, released, and refined the best bags in the market. With DB's patented hookup system, you are able to attach smaller products to your backpack, roller, or tote. And that's so important, especially in the airport. You got multiple bags, bringing them into the airport. It's nice to have that hookup system to put the small bag with the big bag so you're not flailing around. You have your hands ready to go. DB is making it happen. And I'm teaming up with DB to exclusively offer my listeners 10% off your next purchase by using the code POD10, P-O-D-1-0, or going to the link in my show notes. DB! It's time to move on. Time to get going. I'm not going to raise my voice. Yes! I'm really good at basketball for a puppet. What just happened? I drank your milkshake. What's up with those shorts? It's either super good or super bad. Unreasonable Doubt podcast about West Virginia University basketball starts now. Hello from the Dyer Prime studio in Nitro, West Virginia. This is Unreasonable Doubt. It's a podcast about West Virginia University basketball. I'm Josh Witt. Preseason episode three with Mike Kazaza. Mike is a annual guest. Just got around to saying his name right, Kazaza. Anyways, Mike's on the podcast this week. Last week we talked about Big 12 preview. Now we're looking at WVU specifically. And I can't think of a better person to talk about previewing WVU sports than Mike. Always a good conversation, some insight in what we can expect this season. Here's my interview. Hey, oh, before I get to the interview... I ask him, I start off with a tough question. Did I have to do that? No. Am I a journalist? No. Did I ask it? Yeah. Did he answer? Yes. So, and then I asked other questions too. Anyways, you'll hear it. Spoiler alert. Here's my interview with Mike Kazaza. Another week of the NFL season means another shot to win big at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. The last 0-0 tie in the NFL, you got to go back to 1943. So I'd say this is a no-brainer. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Here's what you got to do. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Throw down $1 on any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. 
One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, Mike Kazaza, welcome back to Unreasonable Down, a podcast about West Virginia University basketball. Josh, it's, uh, it's like Christmas and Thanksgiving and Halloween. It's an annual thing. I'm pumped. Let's go. All right, let's go. And I'm and I'm coming hot out of the gate with a media question. And oh. I feel like this is a tough question. And it's apropos. Like you're you and you and the folks that cover WVU sports, the journalists that cover WVU sports, you're catching flack for I'm air quoting this, not asking the tough questions in press conferences, specifically we're in football season with Neil Brown at his press conferences not softball questions you're not asking tough questions Mike when you hear that what goes through your mind and is that a fair criticism Josh I have so many receipts from two years ago two and a half years ago when Neil Brown got here and I was the bad guy because I was too hard on him I wasn't granting him year zero Uh, I was being critical I was a Dana Holgerson guy that's the same person who evidently now is just too nice to Neil Brown and is too forgiving and is a Neil Brown guy. I, I'm not a chameleon. I don't know what to tell you. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty consistent on these things. So I think people go into Baskin Robbins and get their favorite flavor and whatever one they want that day. You know what I mean? Um, unfortunately, they only have two flavors. They only see the media as being too hard or too soft. Um, I don't know what to tell you about that one. I don't really look into it that much. I, I think we all probably should evaluate our work. You know, I could do better in some things. I'm, I think I'm pretty good in other things. I really don't treat people, the coaches, differently. I don't, I'm not scared of any of them. Um, I don't know if they're scared of me. I think they're all adults, and they understand what comes with the big paycheck and the title. So are they sensitive sometimes when they don't agree? Or are they sensitive sometimes where things are tough and the questions are tough or tougher? Yeah, but I don't think that's foreign territory for anybody. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me because I've been on both sides of it, but I've done this for quite some time and it's always been like that. I just think that that fans who are invested in this have frustrations and they see people who have a chance to really squeeze and it doesn't happen. I think it does. Like, I think I ask questions, but I think I do it professionally. I think I ask some questions that have teeth, but I think I do it in a way where I'm not matching up to people all the time. Um, Again, there's a decorum and a professionalism in there. Are we all innocent here or, or, or guilty of going too hard? I don't know how to answer that one either. I think sometimes, sure, you can listen and you can watch. You can roll your eyes at some things. But I understand everybody in there has a job to do. We can't all write hit pieces. We can't all write critical pieces. Some people are going to spend some of their time during the week writing about a player or an aspect, some type of angle that isn't, this sucks. Why does it suck? And there's a room, there's room for that. There should be room for that too. There's a lot of area to explore. So sometimes you do make way for those questions. Um, And then sometimes, frankly, people are too scared to ask. Like there's, there's a lot of people in that room and there's not a lot of people who ask questions. That's the truth. I I don't know what to tell you. Like, because again, two years ago, I was accused of being one thing. Two years later, I'm accused of being the other. Um, I'm surprised by it. I don't know. Everybody's so mad at me because I was great the night of the Texas Tech game. I had a great day. I don't know why everybody's so mad at me. I made no mistakes. I was flawless. I didn't turn it over. I didn't give up touchdown passes. Why is everybody mad at me? They're not, but they're mad at me because I can be mad at somebody, and maybe I don't go hard enough on that. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. Everybody can contact me. They can do that, but um, I'm not saying it's going gonna, it's gonna to influence me and make me go any harder on this. I, I think it's absolutely a fair question, though. Like, 
if I can be critical of people, people should be critical of me. I just don't know what to tell them on this one there because I don't think I've done a poor job, especially lately. I don't know if you've been paying attention, but like I'm getting those what's up with you looks and and comments and feedback that are about two, two and a half years old. So maybe I lost my touch and I got it back or maybe just the old carousel has spun all the way back around. Yeah, it, it's it's such a weird one. And, and it makes sense that the uh, why aren't you asking tough questions would come out more if a team is struggling. It's like and the frustrations come out. Uh, speaking well, of frustration, let's, well, go well, let's, let's, let's stop for a second, though. Like you, you do need to know the room, too. Like so when sure. they go into their third season, everybody's pretty optimistic. So you can't ask questions about, hey, why are you going to be two and four when you're oh, no. Or, hey, why do you think you won't be good when everybody thinks you are good? So I think a lot of the stuff that we wrote this year, and I'm pretty proud of what Chris Anderson and I did, was that we we wrote about what the coaches were saying mm-hmm. and not what was going to happen. Like, they say they're going to be good at this. They say the offensive line has improved. They say they're going to have a much better running game. Um, Doug Nestor is going to hold up a lot better in the middle of the offensive line than anybody that they've had there before. Letty Brown is a 1,000-yard back who's been back. And we couched everything by saying this is what they're saying. This is what should happen. Not that it will happen. Not that it's going to happen. Not that you should be disappointed if this doesn't happen. We didn't set them up to fail. We just put the dominoes on the board. They knock them over, not us, right? right? And when they knock, when they fall down, we talk about what happened. What does it look like when the dominoes fall this way? And again, that's that's something that we got some heat before. Why are you saying supposedly, allegedly, purportedly? It hasn't happened yet. That's why these are things that are supposed to happen in the third year. These are the things that because of what they witnessed in the spring and the summer, they allege are going to happen. That hasn't happened yet. They talked so glowingly and flowery during the preseason about how things and people and positions and improvements are going to fall into place. And it's fallen short this year. I think that's a frustration. I think people conflate that with the media said this was going to happen and it hasn't happened. I can't speak for everybody. The media at 24 seven and ear sports said, this is what, is on schedule to happen is what is on track to happen is what they say should will could happen hasn't happened that's not my fault i think people understand that i don't think everybody understands that sure here's something i don't understand uh transitioning to basketball Derek culver in in one housekeeping item before we get into this season Derek culver foregoes his remaining eligibility hires an agent to pursue professional basketball and as of this recording, Mike, it doesn't seem like he's doing that and, and, and doesn't seem to be uh, getting paid to play basketball. Do you have any insight or follow-up on, on, on the story on Derek Culver? I mean, I haven't gotten the whole story on him on the record, for sure, from the very beginning. Um, I don't follow him on Instagram, so I didn't get the twists and turns that happened when I was asleep one night where – this will surprise you, Josh. Um, people on Twitter told me that I got that story wrong. <laughs> and actually, surprising. Uh-huh. actually, the people on Twitter got that wrong because I had it right because the agent told me the truth. So, again, more more of like the fans uh. and their, their frustration with the media, which I get and I embrace it, too. I literally work for fans, so I get that um, it comes with the territory. But this was a, a mystery for me, except that I think that the the team probably knew he was leaning this way because. You know, he's he's an older junior. I'm trying to remember how old he's think he's going to be 24. Is that right, Josh? Close 23, 24. Yeah, because he yeah. had a prep school year. Yeah. So, you know, and then I don't know how much better he was going to get. I don't know how much he liked getting beat up the way he was because you could tell it, it wore on him every year. And like they reached a certain point where he just couldn't do it. And he regressed so much that that I wonder if he saw like the old uh, 
you know, stock market chart where the arrow is pointing down a little bit and, it, and maybe it dipped so much. And even if you got it back up again, it was going to be unlikely, if not extremely hard to imagine that it was going to be peaking above where it had been before. And then I think, honestly, Josh, if you look around, what happened when they took away Sheepway? They they did use and benefit from Culver, but the offense went in a total different direction. And then I think the detriment of the offense last year was that they tried to incorporate Culver so much and it took shots and possessions away from guys who can make threes or who can get to the basket or the foul line. Um, and if a guy that big and that strong to be a sub 46, 48 percent shooter his entire career is pretty is, is pretty darn in hard to do and then his free throw shooting was a liability and then i mean the guy that was checking Cade cunningham in january remember that oh absolutely it was, was striking unplayable. right unplayable on defense so i just wonder if if he i mean he really fell off i think he had some personal issues at the end of the season that he was dealing with um just trying to get some things right and he couldn't and i, I think that either he had himself talked into a, a conclusion for so long that he couldn't talk himself back out of it Perhaps it was a you know a convergence of people like maybe people in his ear. He he clearly was working with an agent. I shouldn't say getting paid or paying like that or anything like that, but like he he knew that he had some sort of representation. I think not long after the season was over, and and at that point it's it's really hard to get it back. And you hear Huggins say that all the time. You know how can we deal with this when they whisper in their ears, when they're around the program, when I can't keep a parent or a brother or an uncle or whoever from talking to an agent, and then from that that hanger on from talking to the player it's that that gets planted and it's really hard to uproot that and, and to to put the dirt and the soil and the grass back together like it was and um just the regression was so apparent last year that i wonder if he wanted to or could get back to where he was and really where was he going is he going to come back and become an nba player probably not so you kind of you find your international money you're playing opportunities somewhere and, and they just haven't worked out for him yeah so, I, I mean, it's just, I was just curious. And, and so that gets us into this season. So Culver's gone, three other scholarship guys to the transfer portal and the NBA, respectively. And so a wave of new guys. We've got four incoming freshmen, three fifth-year seniors, which is a turn, speaking of a turnaround, uh, an about phase from what Huggins typically does. And two guys went into uh, to get NBA draft information come back for their extra pandemic season. A lot going on, Mike. Has this been the most active offseason for WVU basketball in the Huggins era that you can remember? And my follow-up is, is this kind of the new normal with using the transfer portal, uh, people going in and out, using fifth-year transfers? Is this just how it's going to be moving forward and that lack of continuity that you kind of see with Huggins uh, classes uh, throughout the years? You know, it's it's probably the new normal, and I will give him credit for giving his guys, his staff credit. You, you've you got to lean into this transfer portal thing, and you've got to find a way to get the best 13. And if that means that you have to get somebody who's only going to be here for a year, instead of a junior college transfer or instead of like a fringe, you know, developmental high school guy, you probably have to do that. Like, this exists now. Why would you ignore it? And I believe that his coaching staff and the support staff has talked to him about that. And he's opened his eyes to that and opened his mind to that. So I think that's why you saw them go get you know, three guys, which is important. Going to need each one of them, likely. So I give him credit, but I give them credit because, again, he listened and did that. I think it's a new normal. Absolutely, it's going gonna, it's gonna to permeate all the sports, too. It's a really busy one because of the number of things that happened. So the, the four NBA prospects, Culver, McBride, McNeil, and Sherman, that's a long time out there for 
four people. So basically a 30-year scholarship roster to kind of be in the win. Now, you knew Culver wasn't coming back because he signed, but there was a period of uncertainty before he did that. And then McBride, he went in, and it probably looked like, you know, he's going to come back and he's going to do the Javon Carter thing and you know take the advice and improve next year on the court. And instead, he went out and lit it up in the combine and, you know, got first-round grades and I don't want to say promises, but assurances or, or you know, wink nudge that, hey, there will be a, a pick here for you. And I think ultimately one of the teams that really did talk to him about that, the Knicks drafted him just a little bit later than they expected, but they got a nice contract out of that too. And he's got a spot there. Sherman and McNeil, I don't think anybody was ever confused by it. I think they were not NBA players and they knew it. Sherman, hey, am I going to be a, a, a South American guy or an Italian player or a Spanish league or whatever? Um, or would I come back and try to make it into the NBA? He's got an NBA chance because he has NBA offensive skill if he sees this through. And then, you know, I talked to people who thought McNeil was maybe a better pro prospect than Sherman just because a better defender, a little bit bigger, and I guess a better shooter. That's an interesting competition, right? Sure. But people professionally thought that he had a, a transferable game there, maybe more so than Sherman, but they're both prospects. But, you know, they were out there until like pretty much the 11th hour on that, all three of those guys. Um, so you're kind of in flux. And even if Huggins thought, he didn't know, because, again, you don't know what's going to happen in that 11th hour. And um, – so I think just for the the number of events there, just on the professional side, and oh by the way, you kind of have to wait to see, because that 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 floating bar about how many players you can have, fifteen this year because they had two more in state, but really thirteen is a number, and all depends on who goes pro and who doesn't. And if you're waiting that long, some of the really good players in the portal, they're not going to wait that long. They're going to take an offer. Like they want to get somewhere fast. They don't want to wait. They've been waiting for a long time. So right. you really got to be kind of urgent about that and i don't think they panicked on any of their their additions but i do think about a couple years ago where aaron harris and and terry henderson left and i'm trying to think if that was the year before that was the year after like jabari hines and keaton miles and you know aaron brown and yeah Mm -hmm. so that was that that one year after henderson and harris left was so bad that like huggins called a press conference like the morning of graduation day and just kind of a, a state of the union. And that was probably a combination of maybe two, maybe three off seasons. But that was really busy because so many players were leaving. And I forget the number, but it was something like, I forget, like like 17 out of 23 players who had signed after the final four year either never showed up or transferred. It's a big number. Not, not the specific number. I don't think there. If I got that right, I'd be amazed. But it was a big chunk of players after the final four who either never played or left. And I look at it now where like the big thing is these guys may be pros. It's a pretty good trade, right? If that's a delay and that's the, the, the events and the trans, the transpiring the off season, they could take that, but you're going to lose a couple every year. I don't think losing Matthews or McBride was a big or uh, Matthews or McCabe was a terribly big surprise. If you watch closely, um, their games kind of never got to where they wanted to go and maybe step back a little bit, but you know, having four maybe pro players in your team at once is pretty good. And that's going to be like a collateral damage thing where you're going to have to sweat it out sometimes until June and July until they make up their minds. Yeah. And and so we've got 15 scholarship guys this year and I look at the roster and Huggins has got a wide variety of ways he can go with this. Now he, you know, a lot of three guard lineups last year, bridges at the four and we saw what that was. And it's not Huggins typical style, like lots of offense, uh, porous is what we'll say for defense and then you bring these fifth year senior guys in a lot of them for defense and you've got I mean so can Will Huggins play Bridges a lot at the four and go three guards will he have Bridges at the three kind of fill the Emmett Matthews role 
and then have like a barrage of Gabe and Polly and Damon and Cottrell and, or Cottrell and Cine Enjai, just waves of them coming in to, to hold it down defensively. How do you think if he's going to lean one way, Mike, and he can have all these options, which way is he going to go the way he normally goes solidify the defense, or is he going to keep going with this three guard Jalen Bridges at the four kind of small ball offensive lineup? I have no idea. And I love it. Let me, uh, let me throw a wild card at you. I'm not sure that they, I'm not sure they know what they have or believe yet in what they have in Malik Curry. And I'm not sure he's a point guard either. So they might not have a true one on their team. Do you need a point guard? Could you play point guardless? What do you think? He's done it. Now Huggins has done it. You go back to 2010 yeah. and, and Butler's bringing down uh, the ball. And uh, he's done that before. Carter was not a point guard and kind of filled in that role. Um but I, I don't know. I mean, the answer is they're going to have to. I mean, but I don't know what that looks like. I, I really wonder if you're going to press West Virginia without a point guard, because maybe you do and they don't have a point guard. So if it's Sherman, McNeil, Bridges, Cottrell, uh, Policap, let's say, right? That's probably not unusual. Think about it, if you're playing this positionless point guardless offense. Um, maybe you press it because you don't see a guy there who's going to break you down. But if they break that, You've got four shooters and like a back line runner who's just going to dunk on you on, on like just lobs if they if they break the contain. So that might be dangerous. And then honestly, like what do you like they, their their offense's motion where the one and the two are an awful lot alike. Really, the one just kind of like runs plays and they run so much motion that it's not like it's they're running like, oh, let's play run, play one, play four, play three. It's just motion, which is like, I know what that guy's going to do when this happens and just getting the ball and making reading his shoulders and his feet and all that. So like you don't need john stockton out there so i i really wonder about that um i think you're gonna see a lot of bridges at the four early because they're not playing like these huge teams no one's huge anymore really either and i think that like the best offense right now and the most continuity for them on both ends probably comes from playing Sherman and neil a bunch i don't think they'll start together but those two at the the two the 2.5 let's say the two twos maybe out there with a point guard maybe maybe it's curry maybe it's Keaty johnson we'll see but I think you'll see a lot of that because I also don't know where Cottrell really is. Let's see him get his legs back and his win back. Game shape is different than practice shape. And then um, I think Kerrigan and Paula Cap are probably interchangeable. One may be a little bit better at something than the other, but probably no way to get them together. But I also think Huggins trusts Osa Boyan the most, probably at the five instead of the four, which means that that probably bumps Paula Cap and Kerrigan back a little bit. So, you know, something – you know, point guard, McNeil, Sherman, Bridges, Osaboyan seems like it'd probably be the most common to me. But from there, you, you can really evolve into so many things. Like all of a sudden, all right, let's move Bridges to the three and bring Cottrell in. Now you're huge, and you can be small with Osaboyan, or you could play something different on offense. We don't have to have a five that can score. Um, it's it's going to, I mean, we're talking about three guards. But I think what they do with the forward positions are going to be how this bends and, and melds the way they want it to. Yeah. All right. Uh, Rapid fire questions here. Uh, let's play a quick game of is he a starter? Yeah. Taz Sherman, is he a starter? No. Gabe Osaboyan, is he a starter? Yes. Interesting. I just think he trusts him. And I think I also think that like Sherman just is so consistent on the bench. If you look at the splits, Sherman as a bench guy and McNeil as a starter are, are pretty revealing. And I think that that's, that's a comfort zone right now. But again, 
if they started together, I wouldn't be surprised. Malik Curry, is he a starter? Initially. To be continued. Okay. Uh, and you you talked about it on you and, you're in Chris's podcast, Country Roads Confidential. Listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. I like you're listening to this. What's mm-hmm. your educated guess at the starting five on November 9 versus Oakland? I think I think Curry, because I think he's the closest thing they have to a point guard right now. I'm not sure how many minutes he'll play or he'll play at the one. Then I'm going McNeil, Sherman. Wait a minute, not Sherman. Sorry, Bridges. And then I just, I, Cottrell and Policap are interesting to me as a combination. I'm just going to go with Osaboyan over Policap because if he starts, you know, Curry and Policap together, that's a pretty young group. Um, I think he just trusts Osaboyan to, to keep things together, especially on the defensive end. And if they're going to play four around one a lot, Gabe's not a great scorer. He's a pretty good distributor. And I think he can keep that thing spinning around him with different parts. Is, I, is Gabe what, the best? Go ahead, Mike. Is is Gabe the best passer on this team? And if so, is that a good thing? He he might be, and it might not be. That's what I think. That's what I <laughs> um, think. Because he's a tough guy. I'm not sure finesse is a word you're going to use with him, but he can also catch that ball at the foul line and hit a cutter. Who's who's like on a backdoor pass, and he can get the ball from the high post to a corner for a three. I think he can do that stuff. Is he going to be? You know, Irvin Johnson, you know, whipping the ball behind his back. Is he going to be, you know, Jason Williams where, you know, no look to the corner when he's driving? No, because I don't think you you don't want him doing a whole lot on the move because he's not very good at that. But stationary, I think he's a good passer. Yeah. What's your starting five? Oh, I mean, I've got, I think the, I think speaking of dominoes falling is where Huggins wants Bridges. And so in your lineup, you've got Bridges at the three and then two of the guys with all this influx of guys, these six, eight, six, nine guys, um, it feels like if Huggins was going to go to his tendency of defense, then you're right that it's a combination of either Kurt. I'm go- I guess I'll go with Curry and, um, and Sean McNeil and then bridges at the three again, as the starting lineup. And then you go, um, I think it's going to be Polycap and Cottrell with Gabe still getting his 25 minutes uh, off the bench role. I think, it, I think the same may work with uh, Taz is what's going on with Gabe is that I, I don't deny that he trusts him, but also um, Gabe is, is a fantastic role player. And I think he'll keep him in that role and he can still be the guy you can trust and be like your, your sixth or seventh guy into the game. So I'm going, I'm going Curry, McNeil, Bridges, Polycap, Cottrell. All right. I'm replaying what I said in my head, and I think I said I had Cottrell the four. I meant Bridges. Did I oh, say that? Got, oh, Bridges at the four. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. That's then, what I meant to say. Because I don't think they're going to play a lot of the big five. Yeah, yeah. I think so. So okay. I think I said Cottrell instead of uh, instead of Bridges. My bad. Because I, th- I think Bridges is potentially your leading scorer on this team. Sorry if that's another question, but I think he's got that potential, especially if he could bounce it. But um, yeah. So I would go Curry, McNeil, Sherman, Bridges, and I think Osaboyan. Gotcha. And so you're going into my next question. Who's going to lead this team at the end of the year? Who's going to be the leader in points per game? I like Bridges. I think it's a cool, like if you're betting on DraftKings or excuse me, Caesar Sportsbook app brought to you by <laughs> CBS Sports Radio. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I think that's a cool bet because I just, I feel like it's time for him. There's, there's not, there's a lot of shots out there. He's going to get his shots because he's not the fourth or fifth best option 
I mean, on the team, never mind on the perimeter anymore. He's probably your number two, three shooter scorer on the team. And I think he's going to become a guy who can catch it and bounce and score and get to the foul line. He'll become an active rebounder and get maybe a couple free throws a game like that. Um, and I think that like Sherman and McNeil are similar enough where I don't, I don't know they're as versatile as Bridges may become offensively would not surprise me if it's a Sherman or a McNeil and not by much, but if it turned out that if it turned out that Bridges shot like 50% from the floor and 40% from three and average like 16 points, I'd be like, yeah, I told you. Yeah. I mean, and his, his, advanced stats offensively last year Jalen Bridges off the chart like it and if he gets more minutes and still keeps that up then for sure he could be the leader in points per game I'm going McNeil as kind of a dark horse candidate I feel like Sherman on whichever gambling app you choose would be uh the lowest odds but uh I'll say McNeil here's a here's a tougher question who's going to lead this team in rebounds per game (laughs) it might also be Bridges it might be Bridges He's probably their best like pound for pound rebounder. And and when he's, when he's good, he's good at that. He's really good. Um, sometimes he's not engaged in that perimeter. Sometimes perimeter guys just get stuck out there, but I think they're going to just drill it into him that he's got to live, you know, in between the ring a little bit more. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to end up being Paula cap though, because that guy's that guy can bounce and he can go get it. And, and he's just been a pretty committed player to doing one or two things in the past. If he scores great, I think he's gonna be a guy that like runs role plays and, and maybe like dunks it when he gets it near or above the rim. But if they go in and say, listen, you, you grab rebounds and block shots, that's why we gave you a scholarship. He might be like an eight, six rebounder game guy that may, may lead the team or something like that. We'll see. I think it'll be spread out because I don't think they have a dominant rebounder right now. I don't either. And and I like how Jalen Bridges – I think Jalen Bridges went to the Zion school of rebounding, very slashing, mm-hmm. getting into offensive rebounds and putbacks. So uh, I've got polycap because I just like saying poly, polycap, and I do without – sight unseen – just based on stats over under 0.5 players that will average three or more assists per game. Oh, under that's what I've got. I don't see it. That's an easy one, <laughs> which yeah. is a, it's is a weird number, but like, I, again, it may be distributed, but I think you're going to see a lot of like one-on-one stuff and, and just somebody may make a living off of like just whipping it to the corner or getting outside. But I think you're going to see a lot of guys using ball screens or just pulling up or, or just getting other spots to get baskets over under uh, five and a half seed with over being a better seed, one seed and lower under being below that five and a half WVU seed in the 2022 big 12 tournament. Big 12 tournament. Yeah. Oh, easy. I thought you were talking NCAA. Yeah. They'll be a top five team in big 12. I think over top half of that conference. Yeah. That conference lost a lot. Don't you think I do, but everybody lost a lot and we lost a lot. And so, I mean, it's, I think it's in the low forties of scoring returning and in the forties for minutes returning, which is pretty low in the Huggins era. And so that unknown and, uh, and four coaching changes and, and all you look across the big 12, all the different roster changes, it just seems more than usual. It, I have no idea um, where to peg anybody in the league. And uh, but with those low numbers, even though the talent's there and you have more scholarship players, I want to bet the over. I do, but I think five and a half. Would you make it higher than that as far as the line? If you were, if it was Mike Kazaza's uh, sports book, that's a good number. But I look at like who's definitively better than them. I Kansas. think Texas, Texas, and Kansas for sure. And after that, like I'm, I'm really thinking because. I know Baylor's a defending champ. They lost a lot. They lost a ton. 
they're talented and their plan is just to like get those developmental guys, you know, a year on the bench, a year on the floor, and they take off. And that may happen again, but definitively, probably, but I'm not gonna like be as emphatic about that. And then after that, like I don't I really don't know. I don't think it's gonna be Texas Tech. It's not Oklahoma. Oklahoma State, I don't know about that either. TCU, no. Kansas State, no. So like we're we're cycling through teams here, and all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, they could be the fourth team by default. So given that situation where there's not so many teams that are definitively better than them. And one of them is like, I'm not even sure about that. Like if, if Baylor went, I know if Baylor went like 10 and eight in the big 12, would you be stunned? Probably not. Uh, no, no, I wouldn't be stunned. Um, all right. So that, yeah. So it's, we're all over the place. Mm-hmm. It, so I like, I like the enthusiastic over there. So that leads me to believe you got WVU making the NCAA tournament. I think so, but I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be one of those things where like in February, you're like, oh, they're playing for seating. Like, I think it's going to be, I think it'll be, I think it'll be tricky because I think the big 12 is probably going to be pretty, pretty even and competitive for the reasons we just explained. Um, there, there may be one or two alphas, but like, uh, I'm not, I'm not sure that you're, I'm not sure the middle of the pack with that separated. So it might be one of those things where, boy, there's a lot of like teams that could finish eight and 10 or 10 and eight, you know, and West Virginia could be one of them, but the quality of those eight or 10 wins could be dependent on, you know, what happens at the top of the conference that lose the teams below them. Um, so yeah, I think they, I think they will, but I think it's going to be, I think it'll be close later than people are usually are used to around here. Gotcha. And then I'll, I will leave with this. I always ask for a story you can share on a podcast of a specific former WVU player. Give me Mike, your best Casey Mitchell story that you can share on a podcast. Man. Uh, I, I would say this, that the first time that the first time we had media, interviews so like about about this time of year where you you kind of get the the face-to-face time with players for the first time since maybe the summer of the offseason um a bunch of players in that team were like holy crap <laughs> like this guy is as athletic as as agile as quick as twitchy as anybody that we've seen around here and when you think about you know that's one year removed from a final four team right and that team still had Kevin Jones and Truck Bryant. Um, I mean, I was still there were some players who were there were some guys in that team, and the the admiration that they had for Mitchell, who had never played a Division One game but had lit it up in college, junior college, that was arresting to me. And I think if you if you even play that back in your head now, you're like Casey Mitchell's the most athletic guy. Like with that, that would probably surprise you because he wasn't a dunker. You know, he wasn't – I'm not even sure he was, like, an above-average player at West Virginia. If he got it going, whew, like, that, that guy could spook you a little bit. But so quiet, um, so, like, polite and soft-spoken, you know, with us and our interactions with him. And the, even the players said, like, yeah, he's a, a real quiet, chill guy. But, like, that guy's a freak athletically. You should see him go. And then, you know, maybe you never saw it or didn't see it as consistently in games. You know, he had some personal stuff he was dealing with his, his two seasons. Um but I just remember the first time, Josh, that you really talked to people about him. Tell me about Mitchell. What do you think about Mitchell, the new guy, the junior college king? What do you think? And they're like, man, this guy, you should see him run, jump, guard people, things like that. Um, I'll, just, I'll just remember that about him specifically, is that the initial impression was that he won guys over um, on something that, again, so many years later, you'd be like, I, I would have never guessed that Casey Mitchell's the most athletic guy that, that's been around here for a while. And I, I guarantee if you ask Bob Huggins that, um, he, he, and he said, Hey, who's the most athletic guy you've had? Oh, Mitchell. If Mitchell wow. wasn't first, he'd be, he'd be pretty high on the list. Oh, 
leading scorer, leading average scorer in the 2010-11 season. Casey yeah. And again, like, yeah. And that, that might surprise you, right? No, it does. When you look back, you think Kevin Jones. Like, what's your favorite sure. Casey Mitchell game? But you oh, could pull, you could pull a couple you could pull yeah. a couple Trent Bryan or Kevin Jones games out of your out of your 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 pocket here pretty quickly. But like, what's your favorite? I don't remember. Like, uh, let me see that that tiny. <laughs> like, what what specifically? But that's the guy who like yeah. If he got going, he was really good. Like he was he was a really streaky player who got confident, and when he was confident, he was dangerous because he took advantage of those gifts. All right. Well, I'm confident that we'll do this again uh, around one year from now, Mike. Kazaza, thank you again for joining me on Unreasonable Doubt, a podcast about West Virginia University basketball. Hey, uh, you ever celebrate your half birthday? No. See, we should make this biannual then. I'll consider it. So Thanks, like, Mike. So like in, uh, I'm trying to think, April, maybe in April, after the season. All right. Six I'll, every six. All right, I'll check my calendar. Dyer Prime Creative Group. Big thanks to Mike Kazaza for joining me on the podcast. You can find Mike on Twitter at Mike Kazaza. Oh, Mike Kazaza. So ingrained. M-I-K-E-C-A-S-A-Z-Z-A. You can also listen to Country Roads Confidential wherever you listen to this podcast and check out Mike's writing at earsports.com. Big announcement time. I'm going into year five of doing the podcast, almost at the four-year anniversary, and I'm happy to announce that I am now part of a network, the Basketball Podcast Network. Unreasonable Doubt is a affiliate, I don't know, part of the network. I'm a network guy now. Very excited to do that to partner up with the Basketball Podcast Network. I love that they had the word basketball in their network. One of the main reasons that I would join a network is if they had the word basketball in it. So super excited. How will it change the podcast? Not much. Still me. Still in Nitro, West Virginia. But now I can bring on other network guests to dish on sports and whatnot. Super excited. To share that with you, I don't mean, I hope you're excited for me. I can't, you know, I can't tell you how to feel, but I'm excited. I'm letting you know that I'm excited about that and excited to move forward. Being part of a network. Thrilled. And uh, thanks for sticking along when I wasn't on a network. And thanks for hanging in while I'm on a network. Anyways, network. That's it for this episode of Unreasonable Doubt. Listen on all the platforms or just pick one. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, CastBox. Follow the podcast. It used to be subscribe. Now it's follow. Hit the follow button. That helps this podcast, helps you get the podcast quicker. Do that for me. Until next time, I'm Josh Witt. This has been Unreasonable Doubt. WVU for the 2021-2022 season, they're zero and zero.